they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 30th, 2021. Time sure flies. It sure does. <laughs> so here we are. We want to thank all of our listeners and all of our supporters. And we ask for your prayers and your um, and we want to thank all those who support us with their prayers and sacrifice. Absolutely. That, that it's absolutely essential to the apostolic work that for those on the front line, they have people behind them praying. In the Legion of Mary, they taught us that for every one active member, you needed 10 auxiliary members. In the Catholic Evidence Guild, everyone who was going to preach on a street corner had to make a holy hour. For every hour they were on the corner, they had to spend at least one hour in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And then while they were preaching on the corner, they had other people in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament praying for them. So thank you, all of those you who are praying for us. So we want to look at Matthew's Gospel for today. This is Friday of the 17th week in Ordinary Time. It is the Feast of St. Peter Chrysologus, um, early father of the church. But we're going to look at today's Gospel, and it's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. Jesus came to his native place and taught the people in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, Where did this man get such mighty deeds? Is he not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother named Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Are not his sisters with us? Where did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place and in his own house. And he did not work many mighty deeds there because of their lack of faith. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting in this gospel. So Jesus comes to Nazareth and he's teaching. And what happens? The people take offense at him. We know this guy. Who is he? They're jealous. And, and they, they are not willing to accept that, um, you know, God would work through him. It's like, well, why would God work through him and not us? You know, mm-hmm. so there's this, this jealousy and this refusal to, um, and again, this isn't just the people of Nazareth, okay? We all have to look at ourselves too. Do we find this happening? When, when someone begins to serve the Lord and we see that they're outstretching us in holiness and willingness to sacrifice and serve, are we like, oh, well, they're just putting on a show. You know, they're just trying to get attention. They're just this, they're just that. Um, you know, the difficulty of recognizing anything exception, exceptional or supernatural in those that are close to us, okay? You know, no prophet is without acceptance except in his own country, right? And what does it say in, in John 1, 11, in the first chapter of John? It said, he came to his own home and his own people received him not. So... Again, this gospel reminds us that, that we have this tendency to think, well, I know that person. Well, no, they didn't really know Jesus. They didn't know of the virginal conception. They didn't know that he's the son of God made man. They don't know that he's the Messiah. There's a lot they don't know, but they have plenty of witness, these mighty works. He is doing mighty works. And not only is he doing mighty works, he's teaching in a compelling and authoritative way. His words have authority. Why? Because he lives them, because he is the living word of God. 
And so everything he says has authority. It's not like the scribes and Pharisees who tell you what to do, but if you look at what they're doing, they aren't doing what they're telling you. You know, and, and how often does that happen in our life? It's like, yeah, we can preach the gospel real well, but when it comes to living it, yeek, well, <laughs> God understands. We're just weak, you know. He didn't really mean that. Um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Mary, one of the comments at the end of that verse says, and he did not work many mighty deeds there because of their lack of faith. Yeah. I wonder if we apply that to 2021 about our lack of faith. Yeah, and, and here's the deal. Do we wonder why God can't work in us and through us? Mm. Do we really believe in the supernatural? Do we That's really believe that question. God is God and we are not? Yep. Do we believe that God can change the hearts of men? Yep. You know, how many oftentimes have you heard someone say, oh, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Once a thief, always a thief. Once, once, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You know, they can't never change. Yeah. Well, you know, really? What do we believe? about the human person made in God's image as someone who, who has a dignity yes. that is so far beyond imagining that even the angels, one third of them, took such scandal at it that they refused to serve. Yeah. Mary, one of the questions came in just now through my phone uh, talking about a world biblical view. As we always say that, you know, this is what we're trying to convey. And um, he says that, the 74% of COVID-19 cases from Massachusetts and the outbreak came from people who were vaccinated. Now, again, how do we apply this with the biblical view? Now, last night here at the chapel, everybody, uh, we had a funeral. The lady died of COVID and she was fully vaccinated. So I, I, the question comes in, he's got a son who's going to be going to a Catholic college here in Southern California and they're saying, unless you can get an uh, uh, exemption, you can't go to this school. And the way to get the exemption, I, this is good news. I didn't read it. He said that if you can get a clergyman to write a letter saying that your conscience says, I don't want to get a vaccination shot because of how it was made through aborted babies, that that would help. So I, I share that story because maybe, I mean, a couple times a week, we're getting calls about the vaccinations issue. So it seems to me that we need to hold our line. If you really feel like your conscience says you can't do it, I, I would recommend that you stick to that. What, what's your thoughts about that whole situation, Mary? And we absolutely need to try. Do your best, yeah. okay? We're not perfect, and yes, God does understand, but he doesn't un he's not understanding in the sense that, well, if you, if you don't set your will to do his will mm -hmm. like that, why couldn't he work any mighty deeds there? Because mm -hmm. they didn't have faith in him. Yeah, well, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be out serving the sick and the suffering, all right? Even those who've been vaccinated, the fully vaccinated. And, and now the CDC has had to admit yep. that actually the fully vaccinated are those who are more able to spread the disease. Yep. They're the ones who are going to spread it now. That's why they're trying to tell us we have to wear masks. You know, it, it's not masks that are going to protect us. It's not vaccines that are going to save us. Jesus Christ saves us and he saves us from sin. And he saves us from selfishness, that selfish, self-centered clinging to life that the, my life is the most important thing in the world. You know, no, no. 
Living in union with God is the most important thing mm. in the world. Jesus Christ came to free us from that selfish, self-centered, myopic, closed-in-on-myself view of life where the world has to revolve around me. No, the world doesn't have to revolve around me. God is God, and I am not. And I can serve the sick and the suffering and the poor. And we want to talk today on this show about the dignity of the human person. And we want to give the example of a man who did that. He went out and he served the poor. Boy, did he. Just like Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Yeah. But we want to make sure that we don't cut people off. And we don't need to fight over the vaccine. We just need to say, no, this is an experimental medical treatment. Um, under the Geneva Convention, you can't force me into a experiment, a medical experiment without my consent. And I do object. I object to the fact that you have used innocent human children, little babies growing in their mother's wombs, have been killed and used as a means of developing a medicine to help someone else. No, honey, that, that's not going to work. You can't kill someone else in order that your life may be spared. You can defend yourself if someone's attacking you. And if, unfortunately, in the process of that defense of yourself, that other person dies, that's an unfortunate side consequence, but you can't intend their death. You can never deliberately kill one person in order to save someone else. You have to try and save both. And, And we need to stand up for life. Jesus Christ was always for life. His gospel is the gospel of life. Because life, what is death? Sin. That's eternal death. And so when we give in to sin, we're living dead. You know, if, if we're living in mortal sin, our souls are dead. We're walking around and it looks to everybody else like we're fine. But our souls are dead. Our intellect is darkened, our will is weakened, and we, don't even, we can't even love. We don't have charity. If we're living in mortal sin, we don't have charity in our heart. Charity comes from God. God came to raise us above ourselves, to raise us out of that prison of self-centered living. And so when, you know, no, we, we say no to the vaccine and we say no to the vaccine because of the way it was developed. And it's experimental. In addition to being experimental, scientifically, there, it has huge problems. And, and it has the capacity to overtax your immune system, according to the doctors, you see, the spike protein generally hides in the immune system so that it, it attacks by stealth. The immune system doesn't recognize it at first. Mm-hmm. And what the scientists did with this shot is they found a way to unfold the spike protein so that when it gets into your system, your system is constantly, your body is constantly recognizing the presence of the spike protein and your immune system is over, overworking to kill that spike protein that was deliberately injected into you. But are we trusting in God or are we looking to man for self solutions and salvation? Who, who do we trust? Who's going to save us? Who's going to give us eternal life? Who saves us from sin, which is our greatest enemy is sin. And, you know, that comes from my will. So the greatest enemy is right here. It's me, me. I'm my greatest enemy because I'm the only one who can choose with my will that I'm going to sin and turn my back on God. And Mary, when we come back from the break, you have a great uh, example of a man, a holy priest, who lives a life, just recently died, that is an inspiration. Tony Ryan talked about this priest because Ignatius just came out with a book that you read, Mary, and I want everybody to pick it up because it's beautiful. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. When we come back, family, I think you'll have a 
inspirational story that you'll share with your family. Stay with us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all our listeners. Thank you for um, uh, Stations of the Cross Radio for picking up our signal. And, and I hope you all are praying for us. Those of you who can support us financially, thank you also. And you can call 877-526-2151 to make a donation. So we want to look today at the dignity of man. And in, in Genesis, we're told that um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man occupies a unique place in creation. He is in the image of God. In his own nature, he unites spiritual and material worlds. The, the spiritual world and the material world are united in man because God made it this way. He has created male and female. God establishes him in friendship, okay? In friendship. And he's in the friendship of God. And, it, and, and man himself is in communion, Male and female, okay? So there's, man isn't alone. He's not a solitude because God is not a solitude. In the image of God, God is not a solitude. He's a trinity. He's the first family. He's father. He has a son. And the Holy Spirit is, the, is love, the essence of the family, right? So God made man in his image. And God is not a solitude unto himself. So God made man male and female so that we could be in community with one another. But first, in communion with God. And through that communion, we, and, and he gave us our neighbors so that we could exercise that generosity and communion here in our bodies as an image of his union with himself in, Trin- in, the, in heavens and then the, in, in heaven and, and the union he wants us to have with him in heaven. In the image of God, what does it mean? And I'm looking here at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we're looking at paragraphs 355 through eh, 360. We'll see how far we get. But I, I want to also give the example, as, as Terry said, of this beautiful priest, Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. And Ignatius just published a book by Kevin Wells called Priest and Beggar. And I also happen to have Father Schwartz's um, with me, Monsignor Aloysius Schwartz at the time, Killing Me Softly. It was his autobiography that he wrote, which um, Brian Wells uses heavily in his, in his writing about Father Schwartz. He uses Father Schwartz's own writing, which is beautiful. So what about this image of God? Well, of all the visible creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. Of the visible creatures, Only man is able to know and love his creator. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. And he alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. We're called. Remember, God made man and and he conversed with God in the garden. He was at union with God in the garden before sin. It was for this end that he was created. And this is the fundamental reason for his dignity that we're made to share in God's own life through knowledge and love. What made you establish man in so great a dignity? From the dialogues of St. Catherine of Siena, she asks, certainly the incalculable love by which you have looked on your creature in yourself. 
you are taken with love for her. For by love indeed you created her. By love you have given her a being capable of tasting your eternal good. That's St. Catherine of Siena's Dialogues. And you notice she refers to all human beings as her. Why would she do that? (laughs) They're male and female. Well, yes, in our bodies we're differentiated by gender, male and female. But our souls are always feminine in the sense that the feminine in man, the, the, the woman, the feminine is made to receive. She receives from without. And this is all of us receive from God. So the soul is always feminine before God because the soul is God's immediate gift to us. God immediately creates the human soul at, if, at the conception of a child. It is God who creates the soul and infuses the soul into the body of that child. Parents don't create their children. If God doesn't infuse an immortal soul into the child, then the child doesn't come to exist. It's only when God infuses an immortal soul. And that doesn't, this doesn't cause gender confusion, okay? Because the femininity and masculinity are real, and they're in our body, they're in our DNA, you know, just test There's the XY and the YY chromosomes, right? It's XY is female and YY is male. I'm not sure. I'm not that good on that. So you guys, you guys can correct me. But the deal is, is that our gender is real and it's part of our identity. But we receive our soul from God. So our soul is a gift. So in that sense that we receive from God, we are, our soul is feminine before God. Okay, but but the deal is, is that this is this wonder that God would make this creature and raise it to such a dignity, a creature composed of body and soul, body and spirit. He takes the angels are pure spirits. God is pure spirit. And then God makes the material world. Right. And he makes Adam from the dust of the earth and blows into him a living soul, blows into his nostrils, a living soul. And God becomes an Adam. Adam becomes a living being, the first man. Being in the image of God, the human individual possesses the dignity of a person who is not just something, but someone. He is capable of self-knowledge, of self-possession, and of freely giving himself and entering into communion with other persons. We're made to be in communion with others. And he is called by grace to a covenant with his creator to offer him a response of faith and love that no other creature can give in his stead. Only I can choose to respond to God in faith and love for myself. I have to make the choice. My God, I want to love you. My God, I believe in you. And every day I can make that choice anew. God created everything for man. What? Yeah, God created everything for man. But man in his turn was created to serve and love God and to offer all creation back to him. So man has a mission. We're supposed to gather up all creation and bring it back to God. We were made to know, love, and serve the Lord our God. We weren't made so that we could be little tin gods. We're not going to be gods. We're not God. No, no creature will ever be God. God made us. There's only one God. To be God means to be uncreated. You existed without dependence on anyone else. 
So what is it about this? What is this that it's about to be created that enjoys such honor? What is this about to be created that enjoys such honor? It is man, that great and wonderful living creature, more precious in the eyes of God than all other creatures. For him, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all the rest of creation exist for man. God attached so much importance to, this, to man's salvation that he did not spare his own son for the sake of man. This is mankind. We're talking about the human race. Nor does he ever cease to work trying every possible means until he has raised man up to himself. We're made for union with God. We're made for greatness. We weren't made for mediocrity or for life on this earth or to be entrenched and tied down by material things. We're made for union with God. We're made to soar like eagles and made him to sit at his right hand. And that's from a sermon by St. John Chrysostom, one of the early fathers of the church. So in reality, it is only in the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to redeem us. That when we had sinned and lost his friendship, God did not turn his back on us, but promised us a savior. When man sinned, God promised a savior, and that savior is his own son. He sends his own son to redeem us. And St. Paul talks about that, that the two Adams, right? The first Adam, the man that God created in the garden, and the second Adam, Christ. The first Adam, the first man, Adam, he says, became a living soul. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. This is from the, from the letter of St. Paul. Acts, um, wait a second, let's not get this quotation wrong. Um, it's, it, well, the sermon, the, the, the quote is from the sermon again, from St. Peter Chrysologus, whose feast day we celebrate today. But he's quoting St. Paul when St. Paul writes about... Um, The first Adam, he says, became a living soul. This is St. Paul says this. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was made by the last Adam. Adam was made by Christ, from whom he also received his soul to give him life. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, stamped his image on the first Adam when he created him. That is why he took on himself the role and the name of the first Adam in order that he might not lose what he had made in his own image. It meant so much to God that he made us in his own image that God himself, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, became man to redeem us so he wouldn't lose what he had stamped in us, his own image. Whoa. The first Adam, the last Adam. The first had a beginning the last knows no end. The first Adam is indeed the, the, excuse me, the last Adam is indeed the first because he says what? I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega from the book of Revelations. So we have this reality of the dignity of man created by God to live in union with God. We are raised to a, a dignity beyond all imagining. Because of our origin, okay, because of our common origin, the human race forms a unity. We form one ancestor. We, from one ancestor, God made all the nations to inhabit the whole earth. There was only one father of the, the nations, Adam. We all descended from Adam and Eve, one mother. 
We all descended from those two human beings. So there's a unity among mankind. And the fathers of the church write about that unity. And Paul the sixth wrote, and Paul, Pius XII, St. Pius XII writes about it. He says, O wondrous vision, which makes us contemplate the human race in the unity of its origin in God. The human race has its origin in God. In the unity of its nature, composed equally in all men of a material body and a spiritual soul. In the unity of its immediate end and its mission in the world, to bring the world to God and to, to be united to God. In the unity of its dwelling, the earth, whose benefits all men by right of nature may use to sustain and develop life. The world and all of its goodness, all of its fruitfulness is for all mankind. If I have more than I need of this world's goods, it's so that I can share it with those who do not have. And we want to talk about a priest who showed us that showed us that with his whole life. In the unity of its supernatural end, God himself, to whom all ought to tend, the unity of the means of attaining this end, redemption wrought in Christ Jesus for us all. So we have a common origin, we have a common end, we have a common salvation. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are truly a family, the human race, the human race. So thank you for joining us. We'll be right back with more. Don't go away. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners, to uh, Stations Across Radio for picking up our signal. For all the other little radio stations that pick up our signal and broadcast our, 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 our programs. And thank you to all of our benefactors, um, material and spiritual, and those who offer their sufferings and their prayers for us. We, we need that. So we want to talk today again about this Father Aloysius Schwartz, who is now venerable. He died in 1992. And Father Schwartz was a priest who was born in Washington, D.C. and um, grew up in poverty. So he knew what poverty was firsthand, at least poverty in the, in the first world. And then after he was ordained a priest, he went to Korea to help. Um, Korea was decimated by the Korean War, and there were thousands and thousands of orphan children in the streets of Korea who had no one to take care of them. And his heart went out to them, and he ended up not just taking care of the children. He, um, they, he established a couple of hospitals. He took over. There were beggars' homes, and um, there were state-run, state-run hospitals, state-run beggars' homes. And he, he and his sisters, that he found an order of sisters to work with him. He's pictured here on the back of the book, Killing Me Softly. He's pictured with a uh, group of the sisters. He's singing. They were singing. He's playing a guitar, and they're singing to him. And uh, they're singing with him. The sisters were very joyful. And um, they founded this order of sisters to serve among these poor and destitute people. And they were destitute. And Father Schwartz shows us how to live the gospel. And, and the first point of that, the first point of living our dignity as human beings is to trust, to throw fear aside. Remember the man comes and, and Jesus, Jesus says to him, fear is useless. What is needed is trust. And... Um, so we, we need to trust, and we have to ask God for that trust in the midst of fear. Father Al preached a sermon once about what we need to do in the face of fear. He said, you must do violence you must, to your instincts, to our, to our instincts, to our perception of reality. Fear is an emotion, and it has a purpose. 
You know, if somebody's threatening our life, we're not just supposed to say, okay, whatever, my life is meaningless. No, our life is valuable. So we want to take care of our life and protect our life. So fear, you know, we're either supposed to fight or we're supposed to run in the face of fear. And we're supposed to be able to determine that with our intellect. What's the proper response here? But we have to do violence to our instinct. Most people give up and turn back because they lack courage. He's talking about the apostolate. This life of sacrifice, this life of self-discipline, self-violence is very difficult. It's very painful. It frightens us. You are called to be mountain climbers, spiritual mountain climbers. It requires great courage, great sacrifice, and great self-discipline. We're climbing a very high mountain, the mountain of hope, trusting in God, and God will provide the means, but we have to put in the hard work, okay? And Jesus' disciples had to put in the hard work. It wasn't about, oh, well, Lord, you know, you're going to do all the work yourself. You know, no, he sent them out. Remember, he sent them out two by two. And they come back and report to him what they do. But they have to go out. They have to carry the word out. So Father Al had a great cross um, in the end of his life. He was diagnosed with what's called Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. I believe it's arterial lateral sclerosis. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And so in the end, he had to surrender himself to becoming incapacitated and not quickly and whatever, very slowly. It, it's, it takes its time. But And this is, I want us to understand, and this is, I kind of want to focus because Father L., what he does here, Beggar and Priest by Brian Wells talks about Father L, and that talks about him in his own writing, Killing Me Softly, his, the, the, bio, the autobiography of his years with um, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he has other writings, too, that you can get from the Sisters of Mary, the World Villages of Children. They have other writings available by him. But the deal is suffering. How does our world look on suffering? We've forgotten the dignity of the human person. You know, we put animals out of their suffering because they don't have a spiritual soul. They don't have intellect and will. They can't unite their sufferings to Jesus Christ on the cross in order for it to become redemptive. How can I be so brash as to say that we can unite our sufferings to Jesus Christ so that it become redemptive? Well, Paul tells us, and, and Father Al will, will write late in his life as he's dying, I fill up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. And, and he gets that quote from, from the letter of St. Paul. It's from St. Paul's writings that it's only when we take our sufferings and unite them to Christ that they have meaning. We don't put people out of their misery. That's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to offer our sufferings. We're supposed to take care of the suffering, alleviate their sufferings insofar as we can. But we can offer all of our sufferings in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. He says of ALS, I believe God has sent me ALS as a sign of his love and special favor. I believe this and I try to renew this belief at each instant. So it is. I do not look at ALS as an enemy, which I fight. I accept it, embrace it, and welcome it as a friend. I believe God gives me this pain and suffering. I believe at the same time he gives me the strength and the grace 
to accept it and endure it and cope with it. Jesus says to Paul, remember Paul had a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to tempt him, and he asked the Lord to take it away. And what did Jesus say? Father Schwartz quotes him here. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Father Al is acknowledging, I'm just a weak human being, but the strength of Christ can shine through me, especially in my sufferings. And you know, it's in our sufferings that we look most like Christ crucified. We're called to union with God. We're called to be an image of Christ in this world, even to the point of the cross. That doesn't mean I have to go out and look for suffering. It doesn't mean I have to die of uh, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. All of my sufferings, all of the daily struggles and trials and crosses and disappointments of life, the dying to myself, that doing violence to my own, um, when I get afraid, my own inner um, emotions and my own preconceived notions, that no, I'm not going to give up. I am going to endure. I am going with the grace of God. I will depend on God. I will rely on God. But with his grace, I will persevere. Only the grace of God can help us to persevere through great sufferings. And Father Al took his example from the saints. And one of the saints he took his example from was St. Therese of Lisieux, who had offered herself to God as a victim of Holocaust to merciful love. And she died of tuberculosis. And she offered all her sufferings. And in the end of her life, she, had, she said, I had no idea I could suffer so much. Because she's suffering in union with Christ, and it is Christ who, as, as, as Father Al writes here now, it is now not I, but Christ who lives in me. So the suffering is Jesus Christ is in me and he's carrying me through this. I'm not bearing this alone. We are never alone in our suffering. Jesus is always with us. So he shows us how to suffer just as John Paul II. I remember when John Paul II was dying and the news commentator said, here is a man who showed us how to live and now he's showing us how to die. In union with God, in union with God's will, I'm not going to cling to life so tenaciously that I'm going to do everything and absolutely everything I can to extend my life here on this earth. We are not required to go to extraordinary means to preserve human life. When somebody's body is shutting down and they're dying, it's okay to say, you can go home. Jesus is calling you. We can let go. We don't have to put them on ventilators. We don't have to put in feeding tubes. We offer them to Jesus and we ask Jesus to sustain them in their suffering and we do what we can to alleviate the suffering that's caused by their illness. But we don't kill them. We don't give them a lethal injection. We don't starve them to death. We don't deprive them of fluids and, and nutrition if their body can absorb it. There can come a time at the end of a person's life when their body can no longer absorb nutrition and fluids. But we don't deliberately starve them to death, dehydrate them to death, nor do we give them a fatal injection, nor do we have to go to extraordinary means to continue their life here on this earth. Our life on this earth is limited. We need to be willing to let go. We're, we're made for heaven. We're made for union with God. We have a homeland that's eternal. Our, our homeland is not here. We're looking for heaven as our homeland. We want to go forward, a biblical worldview, remember? We want to go forward in union with Christ so that when he calls us home, we're ready. So my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Father Al goes on, I believe the grace of Jesus will always be adequate. 
<laughs> the problem is I would like it to be more adequate. Isn't that us? <laughs> it is enough, though, just enough for the moment, for this instant. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Take no concern for tomorrow. The evils of the day are sufficient thereof. The sufferings of the day are sufficient thereof. Don't, don't in your inner dialogue, um, extend your suffering to the end of time. Take your suffering one moment at a time. Even the crosses of this life. You know, often in marriage, there are many, many crosses. In family life, there are crosses. Children get sick. I feel like I don't love my husband anymore. I wake up this morning and I got a bad headache and a bad attitude and a bad hair day, and I don't love anybody. So do I go off and divorce? No, I turn to the Lord and say, Lord, re-enkindle my love. I renew my marriage vows. And oftentimes, sometimes when we don't love, feel like, feel like we don't love, it's because we're angry. Now, if we've been molested as a child or had some kind of serious trauma that we never worked through the emotion of that trauma, well, it can come to a point in our life where the anger at that trauma affects the present moment and kills love in us. That anger will kill love. There was a woman who went on a retreat and she told the priest, I want to divorce my husband because I don't love him anymore. I think it's a lie for me to live with him because I just don't love him. And the priest said, you're angry. And she said, no, I'm not angry. There's just no feeling. There's, it's dead. I'm gone. I'm, I'm numb. There's nothing there. And he said, you're angry. And I want you to go and ask the Lord to show you what you're angry about. So she did. And she came back in for a conf- another conference with the priest. And she was seething, absolutely seething. <laughs> Smoke coming out of the ears and fire coming out of the mouth. Not really. But she was angry. I'll tell you the rest of the story on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your support, your material support, your spiritual support, your prayers, your sufferings. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for signing up for our Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So here we are on this Friday, July 30th, 2021 on Bible with the Barbers. And I want we're talking about this lady who said she didn't love her husband anymore. And the priest pointed out to her that she was angry and told her to go out and ask Jesus what it was she was angry about. And when she comes back in, she was angry, all right. And you know, it wasn't anything big. He hadn't committed adultery. He wasn't, he wasn't neglecting his duty to support his family. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a drug addict. He didn't beat her up. It was a thousand little things over the years. Little things where she, you know, something had hurt her or something had upset her. And instead of saying anything, she had buried it and buried it and buried it and buried it until after a while she couldn't feel anymore. Our emotions are not to be buried. They're real and they have a purpose. The emotion of anger was given by God to the just man to correct injustice now, we have to ask ourselves, you know, and a lot of times when we're hurt, it's our own pride that's hurt. So we have to examine what's hurting us. And, and if there's been a trauma in your life, it may be, if, you know, if there was trauma or molestation in your childhood, it may be that you can't experience love because your emotions are lying to you and telling you you're not lovable. So you may need the help of a professional counselor to, to get you to the point where you can reckon, you can put all the traumas of the past file them in the past, and they're no longer affecting the present moment and your present relationships. But what this priest did for this woman is he said, I need you to forgive every single day for five years, to forgive and forgive again. All the little hurts of these years 
these 20 years of marriage. I need you to forgive and forgive again and forgive again and forgive again. He put her on a five-year program of forgiveness. It wasn't that she didn't love her husband. She needed to learn how to process her emotions properly. So on the cross with Christ, and this is what Father Al, in, his, in the end of his life, he's on the cross with Christ, and he writes so beautifully. He said, I think of Jesus on the cross. Would the apostles have encouraged him and strengthened him, and strengthened, excuse me, would the apostles have been encouraged and strengthened if he had remained forever on the cross without dying? No, that's too much of a burden for us to bear. But what does he say? He says, my role now is more and more similar to that of Jesus on the cross. My productive hour is over. I can hardly talk. I can no longer preach. I have difficulty in doing anything. So my role is simply to offer my prayers and my pain with Jesus to the Father. And this, I think, will be of more benefit to my children, my sisters, my brothers, than all my brilliant planning and great projects and programs. This is the supreme test and the ultimate act of faith and love. That I give it all to Jesus. That Jesus, this is your work. You've been using me to do your work. And now I offer it in union with you, Jesus crucified. This suffering is redemptive. Pain is salvific. And again, the dignity of the human person. We don't kill people because they're suffering. We don't put people out of their misery. Animals can't offer their sufferings in union with Jesus. They're not human beings. Animals are not people too. Human beings are persons made in God's image. And they were made by love. They were made for love. And they can be united to love, to God. We're called to union with God. So he says, I believe that suffering is redemptive. Pain is salvific. And death and humiliation are fruitful and productive. What does St. Paul write? Without the shedding of blood, there is no salvation. And what did Jesus say in the gospel? Unless the grain of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's when we surrender to Christ. It's when we look like Christ. It's when we say yes to the will of God, that God can work in and through us to accomplish what it pleases him to accomplish. I have my own plans, my own ideas, but are those God's plans? You know, even Abraham Lincoln had the wisdom to know that someone said to him during the Civil War, well, I hope God is on our side. And Lincoln responded, I hope we're on God's side. <laughs> I'm not worried if God is on my side. I'm worried if I'm, am I doing God's will? Am I doing what God wants? Or am I just putting forth my own ideas, my own will? God wants us to know love, and he wants us to love. And sometimes the wounds of the past make that hard. It's okay. God loves you. It doesn't matter if you've deliberately sinned or if someone sinned against you. The past doesn't define who you are. What defines us? You know, it's interesting. I remember somebody, somebody once said about, oh, the Batman movie. Oh, what is it? You know, Bruce Wayne is carrying on this double life. He acts like he's a playboy or whatever. And, and somebody says to him, I guess it was Rachel Ray, the district attorney or whatever. And she says, um, he says, oh, no, that's not really me. And, and she's like, <laughs> what you do defines who you are. And somebody said, oh, that's so John Paul II. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think that's what John Paul II was teaching in his theology of the body. 
As a matter of fact, from what I've read, he wasn't teaching that. You see, what you do doesn't define who you are. We are who we are because of who God made us to be. We are who we are independent of what we do. Now, what we do does form our character, and it will determine whether or not we fulfill what God made us to be. But it doesn't define who we are. We are God's children, made in his image as persons to be loved. And we are made to love and to live in love. And that can be extremely painful when we have suffered trauma or molestation or even neglect. If, we, if, if we've been neglected as a child and we weren't loved because our emotions tell us that, you know, the trauma in our life tells us we're not lovable, the Molestation tells us we're not lovable. The lack of love that we receive from our parents or reassurance that we're lovable tells us we're not lovable. And it's, you know, we have to, all of those things, we have to do violence to those things, as Father Al said when he was talking about fear and, and do, do violence to say, no, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to accept that I am loved by God and I am lovable and I will climb that mountain. I will climb that mountain. There's a great book, which is a true analogy of the spiritual life. It's by Hannah Huddard, I think is her last name, or Huddard, I think is the last name. Anyways, it's called Hind's Feet on High Places. It's a true analogy of the spiritual life. You got to read it because it can, it gives you a clear picture. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. And so Without the shedding of blood, there is no salvation. And unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. And I can fill up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Yeah, Christ's grace, his, his sacrifice was enough to save the world. But God wants us to share in this mission. He wants us to look like his son, even in suffering. So our sufferings have meaning. They're not meaningless and they're not to be avoided. I'm not going to avoid suffering at all costs. No, I embrace the suffering and I don't have to look for it. Okay. I don't have to go out and beat myself up. It's not that it's about accepting the love of God for me, that God really loves me in this moment. And that can be extremely painful because of past hurts. But if I will accept that love, it will change me. It will change me. There was a warden who was a warden, became a warden of, of San Quentin, I believe in the 1950s. I might be wrong about the date. His name was Clinton Duffy. And Clinton Duffy wrote a book called The San Quentin Story. Clinton Duffy believed in the reformation of men. He didn't believe that prisons were places to just put men and beat them up because they were criminals and they were no good and we had to keep them locked away. He believed in reforming men. And people would say to him, Duffy, reform men, right. You should know, Duffy, that a leopard never changes his spots. And Duffy responded, and you should know that I work with men, not leopards. And men change every single day. And what did Duffy do? Duffy let the men in prison know that they had a dignity before God and they were made by God in his image and that they were called to something greater than a life of crime or greater than the sum of their past hurts. They were called to a life of love and a life of union with God. Bill Sands is one of the men that he reformed. 
And there are others. There are many others, and Bill Sands knew the names of them. But with Christ, I am nailed to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's Paul in one of his epistles. That, and, and this is what Father Al realized at the end of his life. This was his cross, to bear this suffering of ALS and eventually to lose all capacity. ALS, what it does is your, your muscles um, atrophy. <laughs> they begin to atrophy. So it can begin, it, with him it began in the legs and in the arms, and it eventually spreads to the lungs and, and the throat, and you get to the point you can't talk, you can't, even that, he said, it, with ALS, he, can't, he couldn't even toss and he couldn't sleep because he, he was so uncomfortable and in pain, hungry and, and thirsty and, and hot, and he can't do anything about it. He can't move. He can't even move in his own bed. So there he lays all night long, and he couldn't sleep. So he has to, and, you know, he didn't wake people up at night. He doesn't have a way to call anyone. But he, he sees this as his, this is his triumph. This is his great, his great work at the end of his life that he can finally be crucified with Christ in order that the blood of Christ will water the work that God started in and through Father Al's active life. And now Father Al has this active passivity where he's physically incapable of doing anything. And now he's doing a greater work for his sisters and his children that will bear fruit for all of time and for eternity. And Father Al wasn't trying to set up a, a welfare society. You know, when he had his 60th birthday, they gave him a big party. And you know what he told everybody? He said, I wanted to, um, I wanted, I told all of my children that I wanted all of them to go to confession. In 1990, they celebrated his, his 60th birthday. And I had told everyone that I wanted them to remain faithful to their Catholic faith. And, and what the sisters had taught them. He said, I asked each graduate to prepare for this special occasion by reviewing his or her spiritual life, getting their religious life in order, and making a good confession. If their marital state was not proper, I asked them to take care of this before my 60th birthday. My graduates responded very favorably. They had meetings, spiritual colloquies, and by and large, my requests had a very positive effect on their overall spiritual and religious life. So he saw that this disease of his body moved the children to really strive to become holy. And he said, I got it. If I had realized it was going to do that, maybe I would have invented it. <laughs> but he didn't have to invent it. God sent it. It was all in God's time. Surrender ourselves to the Lord. Trust in his mercy and love. And know that we are made for greatness. We're made for union with God. So Father Aloysius Schwartz, Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, Please pray for us that we too will answer God's call and carry the cross and be faithful to the Lord unto the end. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope you join us again next week for another episode of Bible with the Barbers and we'll learn more about what is God's biblical worldview. 